couple of weeks ago, <coughs> my wife was at a women's retreat in Colorado and had a wonderful time. She said it was a very life-changing experience. So if you want to know more what that means, you can feel free to ask her sometime later, right? Yeah, see, she's okay with that. We're good. So anyway, while that's happening, she's gone, which was a great time. We're grateful that we were able to, to for, for that to happen for her. So I was just me and the kids for about five days. Um, every day is exhausting, right? So for those of you who are single parenting or have done that before, my heart goes out to you, my prayers go out to you, because that may be the hardest thing that I could imagine somebody doing for an extended period of time. Like, I just can't fathom what that would be like for, on, on, you know, just for years and years and years. Um, but normally when my wife's in town, you know, we go throughout the day, we're hanging out with the kids, and then we usually put them to bed around 7.30 or 8 o'clock, depending on how tired we are. And then we go and we collapse on the couch. Uh, because intentional parenting is hard. It's very hard. If you care about the way your kids see things, the way you interact with them, you're exhausted at the end of the night. So normally, we sit on the couch, we turn on the TV and watch something just because we're just so exhausted. But with her being out of town, I couldn't just watch what show we had been watching together, right? Because then I get in trouble for going ahead onto the next episode, and she's going to get upset about that. So I'm like, okay. So I put the kids to bed. I'm like, all right, I got to find something to watch just to get my brain, just to kind of quit working so I can get some sleep tonight. And so I'm looking at Netflix, and I'd heard someone mention this documentary about Formula One racing called Drive to Survive. Now, I don't know a lot about Formula One racing, but I love a good behind-the-scenes documentary. So I started watching it, and it was fascinating. It was absolutely fascinating. First, I kind of realized there, there are only 20 people in the world that are Formula One race car drivers. 20 people in the entire world that can do that, right? We think you have to be elite to play in the NFL or play in Major League Baseball, but there's a lot more people that can do that that can be Formula One racers. Now, the way they have it set up is there are 10 teams, and you have two drivers on each team. So as I'm watching this, I'm thinking, okay, the guys who are on the same team, they probably really kind of help each other out and uh, try and get it to where their team is on top. But as the narrator's going, I quickly realize most teammates hate each other. They get into fist fights from time to time, and they will sometimes bump into their teammates' car to have them spin out in order to get past them. And so I'm thinking, okay, so this is what teammates do. I'm like, this, is, this blows my mind because when we think of teams, we think of teammates, we don't think of people going at each other. So well, my personality, I always want to know why. Why is something happening? Why is this going on? I, this doesn't make sense to me. And so as they're talking, I kind of begin to understand because there's a huge discrepancy in money in Formula One racing. So like, Team Mercedes is the top team. And they spend about $600 million a year on each car, right? So there's two cars for each team. They spend about $600 million a year on the cars. The team that's in 10th place spends about $100 million. So, right, so you can see there's a significant difference between last place and first place. And so if you're one of the drivers for the last place team, you can convince yourself, like, hey, I really am the best driver, but my car's a piece of garbage. If I had the Team Mercedes car, I would come in first place all the time. So you're honestly not so much worried about people on another team. But here's the reality. The reason that the teammates don't like each other is because whatever team you're on, you have the exact same car as the other driver. You have the exact same car. So here's how you look at this. If you're one of these 20 people, first of all, you have to think that you're one of the best, right? 
you're already thinking that way that you're one of the best. So now your teammate drives the exact same car as you. And both you and your teammate think you're the best. But if you're driving the same car and the only variable is the driver, only one person can be the best. So that's why they treat each other that way. That's why they, they get angry with each other and they cause wrecks because only one of them can be the best. So the two drivers for Mercedes, even though they would say, yeah, we, we're Team Mercedes, they're really for Team themselves. They're really for themselves. And so, lest we think this is a brand new idea, this idea of, of, of not being for the team we need to be for has been around since Scripture. In John chapter 3, so we're going to be in today. We've been going through this uh, series in John called Come and See. We're going to be in John chapter 3. Last week, Pastor Matt talked about the uh, most famous verse in the world, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And that is what the gospel is. Right? So now we're going to head John chapter 3, verse 22, because what we want to see, the point of that story was that you cannot put two things first. Right, so the drivers for Mercedes cannot put the team Mercedes first and themselves first. That's not an option. It's not possible. And so we're going to see where John's disciples are kind of having a struggle with this. So we're in John chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized now John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. And I'll stop there just for a little historical aspect of this. Why on earth would they put this verse in here? Think about that, right? Why? This was before John was put in prison. Well, in verse 23, it says John's baptizing, so obviously he's not in prison. Why was there a need to put this in? So if you're not that familiar with the Bible, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so we're in John right now. But in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, whenever they begin talking about Jesus' ministry, they pick it up after John has been put in prison, right? So if you haven't read any of that, John is in prison, ends up getting beheaded. Not a, not a good way to go. But that's what's happening. So it's kind of giving you a historical aspect of here, here's where we are. You've read these other stories in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So in the book of John, these things that are happening were before that moment. So we want to understand. It, the Bible does a, such a great job of not saying, hey, we're just this random stories. But you can tie this to history. And so it gives us those moments to be able to connect that. So let's continue in verse 25. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John, they being some of John's disciples, came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. Their words were not excitement. Their words were not, all right, Jesus is here. Their words were resentful and bitter. John, you, Rabbi, they call him Rabbi, teacher. You talked about this guy like he was awesome, and now he comes, and he's taking all of our people. Because before Jesus comes and is baptizing, John and his people are doing that, and they're like the big show in town. Everybody knows about John and about his disciples, and that's who they're going to. And then Jesus comes along, so now people are starting to go to Jesus to be baptized. And it's amazing, right, when we have things that 
Things that we love that get kind of taken, right? Like being known. That was for John's disciples. That was a big thing. They were known. They were the, like the, the hot act in town that everybody was coming to see. And all of a sudden, that's taken from them. All of a sudden, that's taken from them. And so when those things happen to us, we, we get whiny. Right? Like at first I was going to say, you know, we get whiny like when children get whiny. But listen, we all know enough adults that are pretty whiny as well. So people, we get whiny in those moments as they did here, as John's disciples did. The one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. Everyone. Which is what they say. But we, we read earlier that John was still baptizing. So it's not everybody. They're whining. They're exaggerating because they're trying to make it a bigger deal that they've lost something that was valuable to them. They're trying to make it a bigger deal. John, don't you see what's happening? This guy, Jesus, has pulled the wool over your eyes, man. You talked about he was great, about how he was amazing, and now he's come and he's taken all our stuff. Why aren't you doing something about this? Now, earlier when I was talking about the teams, let's, let's look at this. If you would have asked, when John and his disciples were baptizing and were teaching, if you had asked, are, hey, are you guys Team Jesus? Every one of them would have raised their hand, including these disciples that are now complaining about Jesus being here. Every one of them would have raised their hands. But when something they valued was taken from them, their hearts were truly exposed for what they were, for they were Team Self. These would have been people in church every Sunday, talking about Jesus every week. But yet when it came down to it, their hearts were more about themselves than they were about Jesus. That happens in churches all around the world today. We get lost, we get lost in that. We get caught up in that. We would gladly say, I guarantee you, I, if I asked everybody in here, are you team Jesus, we would all raise our hands. But then we come to those moments in our lives where our hearts get exposed for what it really is and we lose something or a circumstance happens the way we don't want it to, and it turns out we're not Team Jesus. We were only Team Jesus as long as our circumstances made us happy. But now that our circumstances have changed, that bothers me. Clearly, Jesus isn't really all he's cracked up to be. And that's the attitude that we get. Because for John's disciples, this isn't how things were supposed to play out. Right? They were, they were with John, and John was the thing, even though they said, hey, the one you testified about, like, John, you talked about this guy. You need to do something about this. And I love what John says. Look at verse 27. This is how uh, a, a great godly leader responds with this. Not with saying, yeah, you're right, let's go get him. Verse 27, to this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. Because here is the fact, all gifts come from heaven. Everything good that we receive comes from heaven. The call on your life is given by God, not given by you. And so John is recognizing that. He's recognizing this, that this was his calling, and life was to prepare the way for Jesus. To prepare the way for Jesus. God had a specific plan for John to be doing those things during that time. See, because every one of us has a platform. Every single one of us has a platform, whether it be at home, whether it be at work, whether it be with friendships, in dating, in marriage. Every one of us has a platform, just as John did here. Our platforms are not eternal. 
You will gain platforms and lose them throughout your life. You're not intended to keep them forever. Right, right, right now, Matt and I have the honor of being able to bring God's word to you guys. That is, that is from God, right? Like Matt and I growing up didn't say, you know what, one day in 2021, we're going we're gonna to preach to this church in Benicia, California. Right? That was not something that we chose. That was a gift that was given from God. And so it's a platform we have for this time. That's not always going to be the case. Right now, I mean, hopefully when we get up here and speak, you guys listen to some of the things and, and take those and they're good. But the influence we have now is not always going to last. And that's a good thing. Because it's not meant to be. I'm human. Matt's human. We're not Jesus. The things that we say aren't, aren't, the things that we do aren't going to last forever. For those of you that have kids, especially if, if, you, if your kids are grown, you know this. Your kids, you have a platform with them, and they listen to you for a time. But as they get older, the way that happens changes. It's not that they quit listening to you entirely, but you know that changes. Right? My, my kids are, are seven and nine, and they listen to me and respond to me right now. When they are 17 and 19, I have not fooled myself into thinking that they are going to respond to me the same way. So the platform I have, I'll still be able to speak into their lives, but it looks different. But what it is, is it's God's calling for that specific time. And I love what John does. John doesn't get upset and says, yeah, we need to bring everybody back to me. John doesn't try to get his position back. When things happen to us, when, when our world, the things that we put at the top of our world get taken from us, we fight to try and get those things back. We fight to try and get those things back, but John doesn't do that because he knows that the greater thing is for Jesus to be the one to come and take over. So John's good with the way things are going. John's good with it. He was, in fact, we'll read the next couple of verses, he's joyful about that. What John's disciples wanted him to do was to take the place of God. Jesus comes along. John has said, hey, this, Jesus, this is who I've been talking about this whole time. This is the Messiah. And John's disciples are like, man, he's, he's taking all our people. You should be there. You should be in that place. That's what we tell ourselves. Because we think that the joy we get in life comes from what we can control. And if anything, this past year should have showed us that we can't control anything. You can't control, you have no control over what happens. But we try and do that. We try and arrange our lives, our circumstances in such a way where we're going to say, you know what, I'm going to make this happen, so that's how I'm going to get joy. That's how I'm going to get joy in my life. That never, never works for us. We cannot stand where God stands. The arrogance of that is probably the, the height of human sin, thinking that we're able to take God's place and that we're able to discern for ourselves what is best for our lives. But John doesn't do that. In verse 28, not, on, not only does he say this given from heaven, but he also says, you yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. John's like, listen, this is what I've been talking about the whole time. And John's good with this happening. And it's amazing the way John responds because, and this is such a key part, John did not view Jesus as competition. John did not view Jesus as competition. John viewed Jesus as coming as a fulfillment of what John was brought here to do. John was brought to talk about Jesus. Now Jesus is here. And so for all of us, through, 
all humans, one of the things that robs us of joy more than anything else, or two things actually, competition and comparison, rob us of our joy because we're so concerned about what other people are doing and about how other people are getting things that we're not and how other people are thriving when we seem to be struggling. We're concerned about those things, so we take our eyes off of Jesus and we keep it on comparing ourselves. Oh, well, you know, they've got a nicer house, or that person's married, I wish I was, or that person, you know, has more kids, I wish I had that. That person, you know, has enough money to do whatever they want, I wish I had that. There's so many things we're looking at, and every one of those things, there's nothing wrong with those things in general, but if we, if they take our eyes off of Jesus, then that is a problem for us, and we'll continue to be comparing ourselves and treating life as a competition as opposed to seeing what it is, an opportunity for us to fulfill the calling that God has given us. Because every one of us has that. Every one of us has a calling on our lives that God has given us. But see, here's the reality. Just like John's disciples, you can only promote one thing. You can't have two first-place teams in your life. It's you or Jesus. It's not both. That's not an option. It's not an option for it to be, for you to be team Jesus and team self. You can't do that. And so John shows amazing humility in this, as any godly leader should. Shows amazing humility in understanding his place, understanding his limitations, that John was not brought to be the Savior of the world, but John was to do everything in his life to point to Jesus. And guess what? The same thing is true of us. The same thing is true of us. Our life is not meant to promote ourselves. It's, permit, it's meant to promote Jesus. It's meant to promote Jesus. That, that is what gives our lives meaning. We're all looking, whether or not we can, can, can express that, we are all looking for meaning in our lives. But we settle for this, this low-hanging fruit that we think, oh, if I can just get this job or, or, or just be married or, or just have a kid, all, all those things. And there's nothing wrong with those things. But those are the things that we look to to give us full and complete joy. And those things were never intended to do that, so it will always let you down. Always. Because it can't do those things. You can't expect something like that that's, that's only due to come from Jesus. And so we have to recognize our limitations. What has God called you to for this point in time? John knew that that's what he was called for, was just to be able to present the way for Jesus. But he gets joy out of this. Let's look at verse 29. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. So wait a minute, you're telling me that John, who was very well known at this point, everybody was coming to him to be baptized, now everybody's leaving, his disciples are upset, Jesus is on the scene, and John says, now my platform has gotten smaller, but my joy is now complete. That doesn't make sense with the way we operate in America. What we are told by our country, by our culture and society, is do whatever it takes to get to the top, and stay there. It is all about you and what you want. That's why following Jesus is so beautiful because it flips that up on its head. It says, no, that's not what life is about because you see people do those things all the time. People get to the goals they finally want and then guess what? It doesn't do it for them. 
They've got to find something else because there's nothing else there that's meant to sustain that except for Jesus. And the reality is we can have moments of joy, but we're, and, until we put Jesus first, we can't say what John said. We can't say my joy is complete. We can have little moments of it, but until we put Jesus first, that's never going to happen. That's never going to happen. And so when John talks about this, his, full, his joy comes in fulfilling God's call in his life, not just realizing his potential, right? We hear that a lot like, oh, well, they didn't realize their potential. They didn't realize their potential. Guys, that's not our biggest concern in life, especially if you are following Christ. Our biggest concern is, am I fulfilling the call that God has put on my life? Every one of us has that. Again, whether it's at home, whether it's with your family, whether it's at work, even if you're retired, everybody, if you're, if you're young and you're in school, everybody has a calling that God has put on your life, and God has equipped you to do the things to fulfill that call. And until that happens, your joy is not complete. It's partial at best. It's partial at best. And so we want to look, what is that like? What is it like for us to be able to do that? And so for what does it sound like for us to fully be Team Jesus? Right? If we want to say we're Team Jesus, what does that look like? Let's look in verse 30. In verse 30, this is John speaking, still continuing to respond to his disciples. He says, he must become greater, I must become less. He must become greater. So this is the whole thing of the Christian life, is that everything that we do is to make more of Jesus and less of ourselves. It's not that we, it's not that we think that we're trash. It's that we think less of ourselves and our needs and of what we're wanting and what has Jesus called me to do and what does he want to use my life in a way that glorifies and honors him. That's what gives us meaning in our lives. That's what gives us meaning in our lives to be able to do that. And so what does that look like? He must become greater, I must become less. Okay, now, this may be, I may step on some toes here, but that's okay, don't worry, I'm going to try and get everybody's toes all at once. So we'll be, so we'll be good. This past year, the way that Christians have spoken about politics on both sides of the aisle, so unless you think I'm picking one or the other, both sides of the aisle, the way that Christians have spoken about politics as though if one or another person wins and all of a sudden everything's going to be fine. The things that I have heard people say, the things what I, I've heard people say, listen, if this person is a Democrat, they can't be a Christian. If this person's a Republican, they can't be a Christian. Do you understand that neither of those statements are Team Jesus? Those statements are sinful. Those statements are sinful. I you know, I, I have yet to find in here where it says, if you believe in being conservative or liberal, that grants you salvation with Jesus. But yet we've talked about that that way. We have embarrassed the church. We've embarrassed Jesus by the way that we have spoken to and about each other. The anger that we have used in our voices, the vitriol that we have spoken with the people who don't agree with us is sickening. Absolutely sickening. And we stand here, those of us within the church, and we talk about organizations and forces outside of the church, and they're trying to kill Christianity. Guys, we don't need their help. We're doing a fine job of that by ourselves. A fine job of that by ourselves. So we want to think, are we Team Jesus? Because if you are, there's not time for anything else. I don't mean don't get involved in politics. That's not what I'm saying at all. But if your joy and your despair rises and falls depending upon who's in an elected office, 
then don't tell me that Jesus is enough for you because he's not. Because that's what we would say, right? If we say we believe what Scripture says, and we're saying Jesus is enough, I don't need anything else. But if our hearts reveal to us, just like John's disciples, that no, you know what? I said Jesus was enough, but the reality is I don't think he is. I need Jesus plus I need the person I want to be in office. I need Jesus plus I need the amount of money that I think I should work with. I need Jesus plus I think I should be able to have sex with whoever I want with. I, I, I need all those things, right? I want Jesus as long as he's a means to an end, but it's not actually Jesus that I want. And if we don't take the time to look within and see what's happening in our hearts, this is always going to be a problem for us because there is a lot of work that goes with that. Why do we get so upset? Why were people claiming to be Christians so upset about somebody disagreeing with them on voting? Why do we get so upset about seeing some people thriving when we're, when we're struggling? We get so upset with those things. That says something about our hearts. What does it say? If you don't look and see what it says, if you don't take the time to look inward and think, what is this saying about my heart? Then you're going to continue to deal with that for the rest of your life. And your joy is never going to be complete because you're looking somewhere else in addition to Jesus to give you that. And it cannot do that. Only Jesus can do that. That's the only thing that can happen. Whew, sorry. Yeah, I told the first service, sometimes the, the southern boy in me comes out and I get, I get kind of worked up and going. But the amazing thing that John did and we can do is to understand that only in Christ, when our platforms shrink or even disappear, that we can celebrate and have joy. The world will not tell you that. The world will tell you whatever you have to do to get that platform back, to be able to have power to speak into people's lives or to do things, go ahead and do that. But that's not the way Jesus operates. That's not the way Jesus operates. Verse 31, this is John again recognizing his limits. It says, the one who comes from above is above all, talking about Jesus. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. That's John talking about himself. The one who comes from heaven is above all. So again, John's, John's recognizing his limitations. Listen, the same thing when I think about, right, like what, what Pastor Matt and I try and do on a weekly basis. We can talk to you about Jesus. We can try and lead you to repentance to understand your need for him. I don't have the power to forgive you of your sins. Neither does Matt. Neither did John. We're given these things for a limited time, but we are from the earth. We can only do those things. All we can do is point to Jesus. That's it. That's what John was doing. That's what we have to do is just point to Jesus because I can't regenerate your heart and to make it like Christ. I can't do it. I don't have that power. I can't baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that. Verse 34. Let's get down to verse 34. For the one whom God has sent, again, speaking about Jesus, speaks the words of God. For God gives the Spirit without limit. So he's talking about giving the Holy Spirit to Jesus without limit because for us, we have the Holy Spirit. Now, do not mean that the Holy Spirit's power is limited. God has given you everything you need to accomplish the task he has given you. Everything you need. You have access to that to do what he has called you to. Now, if he hasn't called you to something, 
He's not going to equip you to do that because that's not for you to do. And that's what John is telling his disciples here. God didn't equip me or call me to be Jesus, to be the Messiah. He called me to point others to Jesus. And so that is what John is doing. That's what we have to do. We have to point, to, point others to Jesus. God does give us enough to do the things that we need to do. And every single one of us has a calling in our lives that God has brought us to. Let's look at verse 35. Verse 35 and 36. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Read that again. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. What that's telling us is there are only two alternatives, genuine faith or direct disobedience. That's it. You, are, you either are, are team Jesus or you're not. There's, there's no in-between there. There's no in-between. And when it talks about whoever rejects the Son, God's wrath remains on them. And so I, I love this quote um, from D.A. Carson. He's an author and a pastor. I wrote it down to make sure I don't forget it. God's wrath is not some impersonal principle of retribution, but the personal response of a holy God who comes to the world he created which has sadly fallen into rebellion and finds few who want anything to do with him. God created this world and comes and sees there are so few people in our world that want anything to do with God. And the sad part is there are a lot of us that sit in church on Sundays and we only want something to do with God as long as it can benefit us. God, as long as you can make my circumstances good, then I'm, then I'm riding with you. But the second that changes, I'm out. And we wonder, we wonder why our joy is not complete. We wonder why we can't find meaning in our lives. We wonder why we go from just place to place, continually trying something new and realizing every time that it doesn't work and doesn't fill that hole that is meant to be filled by Jesus. So here's what we want to think about. For those of you who are believers, right, you place your faith in Christ, you know, but, but there are those moments where, where you think, you know what? I, I feel that my, my joy kind of comes and goes. And a lot of it still depends on our circumstances. It's going to take a lot of work, right? This is something I'm still working on that I know a lot of us are working on, to look inwardly and to see where it is in our lives that are not fully Team Jesus. Because we've all got that. We've all got that. I've got that, Matt's got that, we've all got that. The reality is if we don't take the time to do the work, we're never going to figure out where that is and we're going to continue to struggle with the same things we've been struggling with and we're going to continue to miss out on the joy that is offered us by Jesus. So one thing you've got to do is take the time to do that. The second thing, I mean, we've got to be honest and look at ourselves. Are we John's disciples? Would we say, yes, I'm team Jesus, but there's things that happen in this world, circumstances happen, and then all of a sudden, Maybe, maybe I really don't want to be Team Jesus. I like Team Jesus when things were good, but now when things aren't good, I don't know. What do we want to be? And then, if there are those of you who have just have not placed your faith in Jesus at all, and you're just kind of living in it, you know what? I, 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 hear, I hear what you're saying. I hear what God's saying, but I just, I, I don't really want that. 
what's going to happen is you're going to continue to go from thing to thing, looking for something to fulfill you, looking for something to complete your joy, and you're never going to find it. You're never going to find it. Faith in Jesus is the only way that that happens. That's the only way that happens. Through the gospel, the gospel that God looked on us in our sin, loved us, knew that we needed to be rescued because we couldn't do things for ourselves, and then sent Jesus, who lived the life that we should have lived, died the death that we deserved to bring us back to God. Do we want our joy to be complete? Do we want to be able to say, no matter what our circumstances are, I know there is coming a day when I'm going to be in eternity with Jesus forever. And, that, right, and, that's, and that's not just for that time. That, in that time, it'll be nonstop and it'll be amazing. But that's also for here. Right? When, when John made the statement that his joy was complete, that was while he was still alive. If we don't put Jesus first, our joy is never going to get to that spot. But if we do, it'll change your life. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, just to, to think about the things that you have done for us. God, to see our need to be rescued. Not only did you provide the way for us to be rescued, but you also said, look, look, to, this, look to this Jesus who's come to rescue you. Also, on top of that, not... Uh, that would have been enough, Lord, th that you also offer us joy, complete joy, again, by looking to Jesus. You know, we want to control so many things, and we want to make our own decision. We want to be where you are. We want to put ourselves in your shoes, because for some crazy reason, we think that we're capable of that. Lord, help us to let go of those things. God, help us to do the work that is necessary to look deep within our hearts and to see where are the ways that our lives are not lined up with you. God, I pray for the church in general. Lord, I pray for our church. God, I pray, Lord, that where we need to seek forgiveness, Lord, that we will ask for it. God, that where we need to right wrongs, that we will do that. Lord, please help us to do everything we can to point others to you, God. Not to, not to tell other people to live by our standards, Lord, but to, to look to you. God, you have come to rescue us, something we can never do on our own. Lord, help us to be Team Jesus in every step of the way, at home, at work, in our relationships, in everything that we do. Because it will all fall short without you. But with you, there is everything. In your son's name I pray. Amen.